You're listening to the weekly podcast of the services at Stonegate Fellowship Church in Midland, Texas. For more information about Stonegate, visit StonegateFellowship.com. Good morning, guys. How's everybody doing? I was sick last week, which I didn't plan to, I mean, I didn't set it up to go, hey, there's a guest, so I'll be sick. But uh, I heard it was really, really a, a good uh, a good time, and the neat thing from what I hear is that he he talked, he didn't know I was talking about prayer. I guess he talked a lot about prayer in that place in his life. And um, and so it was Patrick's, it was funny, because I guess I thought when I talked to Patrick initially that he had a guest coming in and he said, is it okay if, I don't know exactly when he's coming in, but is it okay if he comes in and in one of the last two weeks you have? And I said, absolutely, so... It was my impression he would take my last week. And it's just what is funny is I had intended, because, you know, we're walking through things that are difficult, not just, hey, general prayer things. You, you probably know, heard a lot of teaching on just general pa- prayer. So we, you, you and I are kind of walking through uh, the difficult things, the mysterious parts, the things that are like... Um, how do you, you know, how do you reconcile this? And, um, and so this last one we were going to talk about was prayer and healing. <laughs> so when Patrick said, hey, this guy's going to come in, I was like, all right, Whew. I don't have to talk about that. <laughs> and then he told me, I told everybody, you're going to finish up the next week. So here I am. Um, so I'm, I have to be honest with you, I'm excited and somewhat scattered uh, for the last week and a half of thinking about this topic um, because there, there's no way around the fact that there's so much diversity of opinion on this. Um, probably this morning, you know, if we were to do a survey in this room, there'd be those who had one very set-in-your-way perspective of healing and the other extreme at the other side of the room or maybe the guy beside you thinks completely different than you do. And the truth is, the scripture has some clarity on this and no clarity on most of it. Um, and so what I want to do this morning is, because I, when I prepared, the reason I don't have notes, there's a couple of reasons I don't have any notes today. A, I don't want any paper trail or evidence of what I'm going to say. <laughs> That's the most important reason. No, I'm just joking, kind of. Um, that way no one can go, hey, he gave us these notes. I'm like, hey, I didn't give no notes and turn that recording off. Um, but secondly, because the more I thought about it, they're just, it just begins to birth so many questions and you, you, you can't ever stop. Well, what about this? What about this? What about this? So I couldn't settle on what do we need to talk about. So what I thought I might do this morning is um, after we pray and really ask God to lead us is to really focus on a specific passage and just do the best I can to kind of just bring the word to you this morning, walk through the word with you so that you can go and study it more on your own. But at the same time, I'm going to bring some questions up and give you my thought or opinion, uh, from what I understand about the word of God to some, some very obvious questions. And then I may actually, fearfully, um, just open it up and say, Any, what, what questions might do you have 
concerning prayer and healing and see if we can address them. If I can, I'll go, that's to, I don't even know the answer to that question. Take that somewhere else. So, um, but that's kind of where we're going to head this morning. Uh, I, I'm praying that um, God will speak to you no matter where you're at in this issue. Because I know this in this room. Um, there are most likely those of us, those of you, who have been so encouraged and, and, and maybe have experienced uh, God bringing physical healing to somebody you love. But I know also there's many in this room that have experienced the opposite, where you pled and asked God to intervene and they, they died, right? They, they, it, they, and however you want to, again, this, I don't want this to be over-spiritualized, but I want us to press into that. Sometimes we can avoid those issues by going, well, they were healed ultimately. Okay, well, whatever. Uh, that is true, but what I'm talking about is the pain that you feel toward God and that you work through because you feel like, well, God, why didn't you intervene with my loved one? Um, which is a very real question. Um, and so I hope to kind of give you something to think about concerning that. Again, there's not a definitive answer about when it happens, when it doesn't happen, why it happens, why it doesn't happen. There is some insight uh, into that. So that's what I got this morning. So we'll dive into that specifically and look at uh, first a specific passage and just kind of walk through that and and give you some insight, and then we'll deal with some questions, then I'll open it up to you to see if you have any. So let's pray together. God, this morning, I, uh, I thank you again for these guys. I'm so humbled and encouraged uh, to be with them, and God, it, it just feels like it's, it's, it's different than any kind of environment that you have um, allowed me to be a part of it, it almost feels like we're all, even though there's, God, there's hundreds of us here, that we're sitting in a circle just really talking about life, about, uh, about Jesus, about how, how to walk with you and how to work through struggles. Um, I feel like these guys have given me the freedom to be very honest and open and vulnerable. Uh, that although that God, that probably should be how I am all the time. I feel like these guys' love for me and encouragement in my life lets me just be openly struggle, struggle with them, struggle in front of them um, as I serve them um, and, and support them in their life. And so I pray the day that you would, by your spirit, speak to us from your word, quicken our hearts. Speak to those who this morning, this is a very, very, very sensitive topic because there's such pain and, and grief associated with this reality of why you would heal or not heal. I pray for those who have such great memories of this reality that you would actually reframe that, that maybe they would instead of seeing you as faithful only in this, would realize you've always been faithful. That you're faithful when you choose to heal temporarily in this life and when you choose to uh, allow sickness unto death. And so 
In all of those realities, God, I ask you by your spirit to speak to us, to meet us in our stories, um, and to really plant truth in our hearts from your word this morning. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, we've all had, you know, this topic of prayer and physical healing is one that has so much confusion. We probably have all over the years had, you've seen all the extremes from the TV faith healers with the uh, the claim that, um, you know, with the slap on the forehead or a puff of breath on the face or a, a prayer hanky with their sweat on it, there can be healing. I mean, all kind of, those maybe, those extremes to the revivals where bring the sick and um, and you've seen that uh, you, you, and down to uh, maybe the opposite extreme of those who just believe that God is not personally involved in any of that. Almost kind of a semi-deist where God set it all in motion, but um, he doesn't act personally in our lives and, and what's going to happen is what's going to happen. You just sooner, the, the sooner that you give into that, the better. I mean, so there's, in all within those extremes, there is a variety of places that we settle down. But I, I think it's an important topic because there may not be another reality that has the potential to A, it's kind of like you're on a bubble, to A, draw you to a closer intimacy with God or sends you to disbelief. Um, there, there's, you know, you've heard me say this hundreds of times, but um, so many conversations I've had with people over the years who have come to a point of disbelief um, have, have come out of a place of brokenness where they felt like they were asking God for what they thought Scripture said was a promise, only to have either God say no or not listen or something didn't work out. And so they thought, well, it, he didn't hear me. There's not a God. Um, and so I think it's a very important topic, although there's not gonna be any clear answers on it. Here's one thing that I want you to think about. When I began to look at this, I kept thinking, okay, I think over the years, I had not necessarily looked at every passage in the scripture about prayer for healing, but um, again, you can meet me after if you, and correct me if you have, you find out that this is not true, but the best, to the best of my study, there's, there's, there's only one passage in the scripture that tells us to pray for healing. Now, it doesn't mean that the scripture doesn't teach that we should pray for those who are sick. I'm not saying that. In the gospels, there's a, but we take those gospel accounts sometimes and we go, well, see, they're talking about and, the, and they were healed. But I'm just saying technically, where is the scripture, where does the scripture say you should gather and pray for healing of this sick person? And it's only one passage to physical healing. And that's James chapter five. And so, um, we're going to look at that passage this morning, James chapter five, and this is the one that you may have heard or you, you know, referenced where you call the elders together, and I told Kevin Doan earlier, this, it's his fault that we're doing this because he came up the last time I taught and said, what are you going to do at the end? And I said, well, I'm not thinking I'm talk about parent healing or something. He goes, well, I wish you'd talk about that passage in James five, and so it's his fault that we're doing this because he's one of our elders, and so... Um, I want to work through this passage and just give you some insight, some reference point for you to make your own real interpretation of it. Um, remember, 
I'm gonna read from James chapter one, two. I want you to frame, we always talk about context. Remember the context of James. You cannot separate the context of James from any, any passage within this letter. You cannot really separate James from the context of the New Testament nor the whole scripture. So listen again to James chapter one, verse two. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, okay? Remember that the audience of this letter are those who were persecuted and scattered in enduring um, physical persecution. They were suffering. And the whole intent, again, of the letter of James is don't lose heart. Things aren't gonna change, okay? but you can still stand strong knowing that God is at work in these moments to change you and grow you, okay? So that's, again, the context of this. And so when you, there's a lot of things that James talks about through the second, third, and fourth chapter again, but he continues to pick back up this theme and he's talking to those who were physically enduring suffering, spiritually struggling, and so, remember that frames what we're gonna read, picking up in verse 13 of chapter five. He says, is anyone among you suffering? And well, of course there are. It's, it's not a, it's, hey, is anyone out there suffering? It's, yeah, he's saying a declaration. Those who suffer, they should what? They should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. So the first thing he deals with is simply when you find yourself in suffering, and this word suffering is not physical suffering, it is, it's the impact spiritually and emotionally of persecution from um, those who would stand against you. And so he's again saying, there are those of you who feel the weight uh, of persecution, you're suffering. And so he says, you need to pray, you need to seek God, um, and then he talks about, it's interesting that these begin to kind of build on each other when he talks about, is, is there anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. And he's talking about, again, those who would place their trust, their trust in the worthiness of God and their hope in the worthiness of God, it should come out in worship. And then in verse 14, he says, is any among you sick? then he must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he's committed sins, they will be forgiven him. So there's a lot in this passage to kind of think through. There, when, you, when you read this, this verse, question, is any among you sick? Um, the truth is, there's so much diversity of opinion on what the word sick means in this passage. And here's why. Um, the 28 or 29 times that word's used in the New Testament, about half of the time it's used, it means physically sick. The other half of the times it's used, it means spiritually weak. Um, and so, and I would say it probably has both connotations. He's probably talking about those who spiritually are weak and, and they find themselves just about to give up. And if you've ever walked through suffering and struggle, you know what he's talking about. 
You're just about to say, I don't care anymore. What's the point of struggling? I just want to give up on this whole reality of believing that God is you know, going to intervene in my life and I'm just, every, I'm, just, I'm just pressed from all directions. You see that throughout the Psalms. I mean, the Psalms just is a raw confession of, God, when are you going to intervene? And so he's saying, are there those among you who have just about to lose heart? Call the elders. Call those who are spiritually strong to come alongside you and to pray for you. Um, but you can't get away from the reality that this word also means physically sick. It's used in the New Testament of that, and I would say, and this is my opinion, and you can study it for yourself, when you take the whole context of this passage, it, there's, there's, there's no way to get around the fact that James is saying, if any one of you is physically sick, and you can't, and what it's calling, it's talking about too is, this is a moment of desperation. In fact, just the structure of the phrase, call for the elders, you're so sick you can't come to them. I mean, they need to be called out to you. You can't, it's, it's a desperate moment of physical illness. Um, but, it, but he says, if any of you are sick, call for the elders. Now, several questions come up. This is where context has to interpret what this passage means. Do the prayers of the elders mean something more than the prayers of any other Christian? No. No, they don't. So is, it, is there some prescriptive, like here's the rules for praying for the sick. It can only be elders that pray for the sick. No, that doesn't mean that. Um, the implication is those who are spiritually strong, here's what it does mean. Those who are elders and leaders in our church better be walking with Jesus. The assumption is they are walking in passionate pursuit of Jesus Christ. They are spiritually strong, okay? Um, and this is, we'll talk about this in a few minutes because it's interesting that he goes on, you've heard this passage before later, the effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. And so you would say, well, does some people's prayer accomplish more than others? Absolutely, 100%, absolutely. That there's something about a person who understands the heart of God and surrender to the will of God, his prayer is effective where someone who isn't in that position is not. Okay, I'm just, that's what the scripture talks about. But there's nothing, it, it, there's nothing magical like, because sometimes people will call us and say, well, we, you know, based on this passage, we want the elders to come out and pray for us. If you're believing that there's something special that the elders have that someone else doesn't have, that's wrong. If your implication is you know for sure that these guys love Jesus and walk with the Lord and you want them to pray for you, then that's a different thing. Uh, but, but, but this reality of the responsibility of the elders, those who, leaders who are spiritually strong is absolutely a truth taught in this passage. Remember in Galatians chapter six, it's, the, it's this passage that is a reference to this. I'll just read it. You don't have to turn there. Galatians chapter six is a parallel passage to this when it says, brethren, if anyone is caught in trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. He's talking about those of you 
who were strong. In that passage, he talks about those who, if you remember me preaching about the context of the boulder versus the backpack, those whom a boulder has dropped into their life, they've been crushed. That those who are spiritually strong have a responsibility and a mandate from God to come alongside them and to raise them up. And so this passage is saying that you should call on those who are spiritually strong. When, when you're in that moment where you're either A, spiritually weak and exhausted, I am done, or you're in a physical illness that you're like, I, I just don't know I'm gonna make it. Call for the elders and have them begin to come and pray. And so sometimes this reality of um, what happens or what's spoken in this passage, again, it becomes too prescriptive. And by that, I mean, we, we walk through things as if there's a, there's, a, there's a five-step process that makes the magic happen, okay? And I wanna kind of challenge that. Like, for instance, is it a big deal, the anointing of the head with oil? No, okay. There's nothing about the oil that's important other than it is very symbolic of what's going on. The trust in the spirit of God uh, poured over a person's life. But again, don't get hung up in the, well, what kind of oil is it? it all, okay, it, it's symbolic. Sometimes our elders, when we do that, may, they may anoint someone's head with oil. They may not anoint someone's head with oil. Is the oil the point? No. Okay, it's the beseeching of God by those who are spiritually strong. And so he says, again, if anyone is sick, he must call for the elders and they are to pray over him. Because uh, the point in this passage is, in verse 15, and the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. This is where it gets sticky, okay? Um, again, what he's talking about in this passage is not the faith of the person, but he's talking about the trust in those who are spiritually strong, the trust they have in the faithfulness of God. So it's the faith of those praying in this instance. It's those that are surrounded and lead, as leaders praying for this one who is physically sick, spiritually weak, that their faith that God is who he says he is, is what changes or intervenes or restores this person. Now this word restore, it may say, your copy of scripture may say heals. Um, and so again, in the same way that sick, there's, there's kind of divided opinion on what the word sick means necessarily in this passage, the same with the word restore. The word restore in this passage really is the word save, okay? And so it, it's sozo, it's the word that's used often for save. Um, and so is he talking about the reality that they're gonna be saved, restored, spiritually, spiritually restored or physically restored? Again, I would say, well, both. I think sometimes, you know, and here's my honest confession. Sometimes we, if you have a presupposition you take to the scripture, you want to make it say what you want it to say, right? In other words, you're like, if I think I'm a little scared about, I don't know about this healing stuff, so I'm going to look at it and go, um, this can't be saying this. I, and I say that because if you've ever read commentaries, they're good. Commentaries are written by guys who are, quote, scholars, and they're really okay to Listen to what a scholar in biblical language or in biblical history might say about this. But I read three commentaries on this. And the funny thing was, one was, ex I mean, he could, he's like, this ain't about physical healing. These were, he was so definitive, but I know him, 
I know his church and I know him and I know it. It's because he doesn't believe God. He doesn't believe in, in, in the work of the Spirit. He didn't believe that, he believed it all ceased. Right? So he's gonna, of course, say this passage doesn't mean that. Um, the other two guys were like, they were honest. They're like, you know what? This definitely means that. There's no way to look at this passage and not, and not grammatically, structurally say this passage is saying that there are those who are physically ill to the point of death and you should call the elders to come and pray for you. And that the prayer of faith, the prayer offered in faith will heal you. Now the dilemma that that brings up in our lives is if we take that as prescriptive, then either James was lying or we're misunderstanding something, right? Because we've all know of the reality of uh, those who have been prayed for who weren't healed, who weren't restored, um, who died. Um, and again, that's where I would begin to say, you've got to then take this passage to the larger context of Scripture and say, does the Scripture teach that Jesus came to alleviate all sickness and suffering? Absolutely not. Not in this life, okay? He did come to restore and reconcile all that sin impacted. And so the reality is true that one day there will be no more sickness, no more death, no more pain, but not in this life, okay? Not in this life. And so if we come to the assumption that, again, this passage is prescriptive of a way to get physical healing, you're missing the point. On the other hand, if you say, well, I don't believe, you know, if you kind of take a flippant response to that and go, well, I just don't pray for healing then. Well, that's the wrong response too. Because this is a challenge to say, man, believe and trust in the work of God who can intervene and heal in your life. And when, if, you're, if you are physically ill to the point of death, call those who are spiritually strong and ask them to pray for you. Ask them to ask on your behalf. And so, does the Bible teach that we should pray for healing? Absolutely. Pray. Pray that God would heal. Does the Bible teach that God heals? Absolutely. Um, the struggle comes with, why does God heal selectively? Why doesn't God heal everybody? Um, and again, Scott and I always do this. Probably all of us do this. When you kind of get hung up, you just kind of walk down the hall and find someone's door that's open and you start unloading. And me and Scott talked for about an hour and a half yesterday. We just wrestled through this together. And he challenged me. And I was like, I was like, why doesn't God heal everybody? He said, that question's irrelevant. And I said, no, it's not. It's not irrelevant for someone who's lost somebody. Not because I, I want to use God for my purposes, because I'm trying to understand what God promised. If God promised this, why doesn't it work? all the time, right? Um, and I can't answer that question. I don't know the answer to that question. Um, I don't know why God sometimes chooses to physically heal someone and for other people, it's not the case. So instead of answering the question that way, what I would want you to do is think a little bit about what healing, what happens in healing. And hopefully this makes sense. If it doesn't, I'm sorry. Um, but I hope it makes you think. Because I was, I was talking to Scott about this. The reality is, when we pray for physical healing, sometimes we get so excited about that as if 
something incredible happened, but I want you to see it in perspective. It's all only temporary and it's fleeting. You realize no one ever has not died. Right? So, so it was just a brief extension of life. No one that had ever been prayed for that got healed didn't die. They all died. Okay, that's the impact of death. It'll all be reconciled and restored one day when death has been defeated. I mean, Jesus defeated death. But I'm just saying, sometimes we act as if the most important thing God can do is heal as if that, okay, a miracle is some amazing reality, but God really is just postponing death. And so I begin to think about why would God do miracles? And again, this is my thought looking at scripture. I can't take you to a passage and go, here, this verse right here says, I did miracles because, but when you look at the New Testament and see why Jesus did miracles, there were a couple of reasons. A, miracles were the um, confirmation of the power of God. I mean, in other words, people, they were, they were signs to say, he is God, he is the son of God, right? So they were confirmation. But here's what I think they also were. Without this sounding like I'm questioning that God had a sovereign plan. So let me say this out loud. God has a sovereign plan and everybody believe that, all right. But when I see Jesus walking through the New Testament, these, re, these requests for healing almost seems like temporary disruptions to his mission. He's walking through and he's really, again, he's trying to say the mission is the redemption of the human heart. And what I want you to see is in those moments, teacher, can you fill in the blank? Heal my child. And he responds. And here's what's, here's what's another, a little bit of kind of a reality to realize. Every single person that Jesus that requested healing, every single one was healed. Deal with that however you want. Jesus never turned anyone down. That's that's why it's hard for us, right, to go, we don't have an account of someone going, Lord, would you heal my child? No. And let me tell you why I won't, right? All we see is that he healed every single person who came to him and asked for healing. Some, there was a spiritual reality in in that their, their sins were forgiven. Some, it was just like, The the healing was separate from even the spiritual nature of it. He just healed them. Um, Anyway, that's a separate reality. But when I look at that, I think, what was Jesus doing? What was the point of that? A, it was the point at times of saying, so that they would believe that he is sent from God. But I think also the reality is this, that it's simply sometimes the love and compassion of God to in that moment say, of course I care about your brokenness. It must be terrible to have walked these years with this hemorrhage, of course, let me heal you. Knowing that this is temporary, you're gonna die again. But in an act of love and compassion, that is God's heart toward us always, that of course I care and I have the power to do this. Now, we struggle with why does he do it all the time? I don't know, but I want you to see it as glimpses of compassion in those moments where Jesus wasn't going through the the town going, I'm looking for someone to heal so that I can do some stuff. It seemed to be those who came to him and out of love and compassion, he touched them and healed them. Uh, But also, there's there's a third picture, I think, that we have to keep in mind. And what I'm saying is, keep miracles in perspective. 
they're not the all the end all end all. Again, because all they do is temporarily put off the reality of death. They're not not to sound like I'm not like miracles aren't a big deal. I'm just saying, stop putting so much stock in that as if it's this amazing work of God in all the other things God does is not, right? That's what we feel like. Well, I know it is, but like a biggie, like this biggie, okay? It's not really that much of a biggie. Actually, it's a temporary distraction if you wanna be honest. But I think when he intervened and healed, it was also a glimpse of what was to come. In other words, we know there's something in us that knows it shouldn't be like this. That's why we, we struggle with death. We weren't, we weren't meant to die. That's why we resist it. You know, it's funny that we all know we're gonna die, but somewhere in the course of your life, we kind of forget that. <laughs> so when you get sick and you think you're gonna die, it's, it's, you never thought you weren't gonna die, but in that moment, you can't believe you're gonna die, right? You're like, what? I can't believe, like... And I think, well, okay, did I ever, you know everybody dies, right? I know, but somehow I kind of live like I thought I was going to live forever. But because in us, we know it's not supposed to be this way. See, when sin entered the picture in the story of God, death entered. Okay, so it is that reality. So what Jesus, what God is restoring is he's eliminating death. No more death, right? He overcame death. And so I think when you see Jesus in those moments healing and restoring life, it's a glimpse into one day, this is what it will be like forever. Hang on. And in his grace and compassion, he gives you a glimpse. He gives you a moment to say, one day, it'll it'll all be restored. Hang in there. And so... Why doesn't he do that for all of us? A, because it's not the point, right? That's not the point. We think it's the point when it's someone we care about, but again, it's not the purpose of God to alleviate suffering and and death in this life. That's not his mission. That was not his point. He didn't come to do that. If that was what he was gonna do, he would have done that for everybody. Again, I see these as temporary responses of God to a show his power and authority, be to, to give us a glimpse of the, process, of the whole story of restoration and then see simply because he was loving and compassionate and touched a person's life to alleviate suffering in that moment. But I don't know why he won't do it for everyone other than to keep in perspective that that is not the purpose in this life for which he came. Um, so think about this reality when you're struggling with, um, well, why doesn't God do this every time? And I would say, well, he never, that, he, he, the word of God doesn't teach that was his intention. Now, the challenge of this passage is it can make you think that, right? I wish James would have said, you know, call the elders um, and they're gonna anoint your head with oil and you'll be sometimes healed and spiritually strong and sometimes you'll die. Right, if we'd have just known ahead of time like what it was, how it was gonna work, it'd have been better, right? And so I don't know how to deal with the tension in this passage of going, yeah, he said to do this and sometimes it turns out that way and sometimes it doesn't. What we like to do is just 
that's where we take both parts of this, this word and say, oh, well, in that instance, you were spiritually healed, which is true. But, but I know it can be discouraging for you, especially if you're the one that happens to. Um, and you see someone have a physical healing and a restoration of their loved ones. So, um, all right, let's walk a little bit further through this passage. So he says, um, call the elders of the church. They will anoint your head with oil and the prayer of faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And then he begins, he, he adds this reality that I think it's important to look at scripturally. The Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Now what in the world was he throw that into the mix for? Is he saying that all sickness is a result of sin? No. I mean, in a grand scheme of that, we're so scarred and damaged by sin that the reality is death. I mean, you can kind of take that back to say, yes, in a grand scheme way, the result of sin is death. But, but, but what I'm talking about are those times when you go, I must have done something wrong and, and God sent some sickness on me. Is that taught in scripture? Well, Jesus challenges that in John when he says, well, who, was, who, who sinned that this guy was born blind? Jesus said, nobody. It was the Father's purpose for his glory, right? Which is another issue. You're like, what? But he's answering the other question that all sin is not, um, uh, all sickness is not because of sin, but some sickness is. Some sickness is the reality of sinful choices in your life, the damage, the suffering that you're walking through. So in the course of this prayer of the elders, then there is an encouragement to deal not only physically with you, but spiritually with you. And so there's the encouragement to say, in other words, where are you at spiritually? Um, is, is this reality in your life a lack of, of, of faithfulness to God? I mean, you need to confess your sin to God. Again, there's nothing about confession of sin uh, that's important to the elders because he goes on in the next verse and talks about we should confess our sins one to another that we would be healed. So the reality is, though, there is not just the physical in all of this. There's not just the seeking of physical restoration, but spiritual restoration regardless if you're physically healed or not. Um, and so he ends up with... Um, go to verse 16. I already mentioned this. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Then he gives an example in Elijah. Elijah was a man who was like, was with a nature like ours, which if you think about it, this is such an encouraging couple of verses. He's saying, Elijah is just like us. Well, I'm about to tell you, he's just like us. Just a man. He, he, and if you read the history of Elijah, he is. I mean, he struggled, wanted to die, right? I'm like, give up. I just want to give up. I, I trust God one day and then I'm ready to die because I'm getting chased by Jezebel. Um, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. And he prayed again and the sky poured rain and earth produced its fruit. So he's saying to you, it is important that the fervent prayer of a person who walks with God accomplishes much. Now, I don't know, how to, I don't know what necessarily to do with that passage other than to say, 
That's what the scripture talks about. Um, it does not mean that someone has more faith or more connection with God. I used to try to tell my parents that um, they would say it this way, and I don't think they meant it this way, but they would, they would want me to pray for something like I had a hotline to God, like I had the bat phone. And well, we want you to pray for it. And I remember one time having this conversation and they said, well, you have more faith than us. And I was like, well, A, if you knew me <laughs> on the inside, you'd be like, you're, you're in bad shape if you're looking to me. But I would say, that's just not true. You have access to God. So they're not saying that someone else has access to God in a way that you don't. What they're saying is any of us can have access to God this way. But when you're spiritually weak, there are times that you you don't have the strength to pray a prayer. And so you should seek out the support of those who are walking with Jesus to say, pray for me. So part of this reality, and I'm not, not all of it, but part of this reality that we, you see us doing on Sunday morning really is, is part of, I mean, part of it's this passage, right? It should be the ministry of leaders, elders, to be available to the body, on Sunday morning to just come. Though, you know, those who are struggling, just let us pray for you. There's nothing special about, about that interaction other than you can, you, can, you can hopefully be confident that these are men and women who are spiritually strong, who are walking with Jesus. And in these moments where you feel like you just can't muster the strength to pray and talk to God that they can intervene for you, pray, pray with you, support you, encourage you, uh, ask God to heal, restore you. And that the reality is that their prayers will be effective in your life, not because of them, but because of their faith in who God is. Um, sometimes you hear people say, um, somehow faith the amount of faith is important in this process of healing or prayer, and I would challenge that. I would say it this way. It's not the quantity of faith, because it does matter. When Jesus said things like, sometimes he would heal someone and say, your faith has made you well, right? He's not saying, because you had a lot of faith, it made you well, but that's how it's perceived sometimes. Or this prayer of faith, you come to someone who has a lot of faith, it's not quantity, it's quality. In, in other words, it is my grounded hope and trust in the character of God. It's the, it's the quality of my faith. What am I hoping in? In fact, if you, again, go back to look at how Jesus did miracles, sometimes he didn't do miracles, and you know what? He would address it this way and say, you're looking for a sign, okay? And what he was addressing was the quality or the, the placement of their faith. If you were coming to me as a miracle worker that's, that's not the right quality. That's not, right, not the right faith. You're missing the point. If you're saying, I completely trust in your character, God, will you do this? Then you see the, him saying to those, man, I've never seen faith like this. He's not saying amount of faith. He's saying the quality of your faith. My faith and trust is in the character of God. I'm, I know who God is and surrender and trust in his purposes. And so, um, all of us can be there, but the reality is when we're struggling, that's the first thing we doubt, right? So without this sounding questionable theologically, our prayers are weak in those moments. They're ineffective, right? 
Not because God's up there going, well, the quality meter's not good enough. It's because our hope, our trust in the character of God's damaged. So we come to those who we know are spiritually strong. And the reality is all of us interchange in that. The truth is that could be us this week and somebody else next week. So we turn, we're strong for another next week when we were weak last week. But I'm saying in those moments, you need someone who's, who's settled in the character and trustworthiness of God in their heart to pray for you because somehow their prayers are effective in those moments and other prayers are ineffective. Um, okay, so kind of last, we've already looked at a few questions. Um, should I pray for healing? Last question, and I'll see if you have a question that I can answer. The last question I wrote down in light of this passage is, how should I pray for healing then? You know, should we pray? Absolutely. Does God heal? Absolutely. Is it selectively? Yeah. Why? I don't know. I, I don't know. I can't answer that question. If we make healing the hinge pin of our decision that God is faithful or not, which is somehow how it, it turns out, we're missing the point. Okay, we're still trusting in God and he's still faithful whether he intervenes and heals temporarily for the moment in this life or in the end. But how should we pray for healing? And I, the, the best way I, I could think of this phrase, these two words are this, we should pray expectantly surrendered. Expectantly surrendered. Expectantly going, I pray because I know and believe God can heal. So I'm expectant, but I'm surrendered because I know that his purposes are not always centered around my physical healing or the one I loved in this season, for this moment, temporarily. But if in this moment, his glory will be magnified and people will believe, he may choose to intervene and heal for this season but if he chooses not to, I'm surrendered to his purpose. I know that he, he I know my heart in his, is in his hands. I know he has my best in mind uh, for me. And so I'm trusting in that. So there's this sense of, I ask boldly, but surrendered. Um, and that's the best I can give you on this idea of prayer and healing. Any questions that you have about this reality of prayer and healing that you're just itching to embarrass me with? Or any comments? That's kind of a big environment to say something, right? <laughs> Anyone? Yeah. Yeah. Kenny, you have anything? <laughs> That's an old friend from the old days. <laughs> yes. Thank you, thank you. No, yes. Yeah. 
Right, right. Right. Good work, Carol. Yeah, and let me emphasize what he just said, because that's exactly true. Because Scott and I had that same conversation yesterday. Because Scott, if you know Scott's story, he was healed. I mean, it, it was a, he, he was rescued from the door of death. I mean, he, and so, um, again, that's exactly what I'm saying, and I didn't say it well, that I want it to be a big, as much of a big deal for those who were healed as those who died. And you said it right, because God is at work in both of those. We want the other one because it turns out better for us in the moment. It's more encouraging. But I want you to say all of that is the work of God in your life. It's hard for us to accept, but it's just as much a big deal to say, okay, um, he chose to allow this death to be for his glory or this healing to be for his glory. And so don't raise one above the other as if he really worked when he physically healed, but somehow he worked less when he didn't. That's a misconception, but yes. Yeah. Well, thank you guys. I will, uh, thanks for listening, hanging in here with me and I'll pray for you. And I think, who's next? Patrick, Patrick will be in here next. And thanks for kind of walking through this. Have any questions, come by and ask me or email me and I'd love to talk more about this, but let's pray. God, thank you for today. And um, God, as, as Scott and I were talking yesterday, the the amazing yet, challenging reality of walking with you is um, you are amazingly consistent yet unpredictable from our perspective. And so God, when we try to confine you to um, a set uh, agenda, when we try to confine you and figure you out in a way that we feel like we, we can control you, God, we're reminded that, A, you were sovereign ruler of the universe. And the good thing we can trust in God is we know what you came to show us is your heart for us. That if we trust in your heart for us and your character and your love and your faithfulness, we hang on to that, although we may always wonder why you do what you do, we know it's always because you, your heart for us and your purposes are what you're accomplishing in us. And to that, God, we surrender. And so I pray for these guys that you would continue to, to grow this, challenge them, that they would dig into this reality uh, in their life and you would speak to them and uh, bless them as they work today and just display the life of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.